Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. First off, Happy New Year. Um, we have not done one of happy these. Happy 2020. Yeah, since the end of last decade. I don't know about you, but I now mark time based on all of the years before I saw Pierre Maguire eat a corn dog and all of the years that will come after that moment. I have no comment. It was so disgusting. <laughs> uh, Why? Why did yeah. it happen? I don't know, man. I, I I didn't I didn't get the corn dog for that explicit reason because it was like the size of Zdeno Chara's stick, so to speak. Uh, the Winter Classic was a ton of fun. It was great seeing a lot of you out there. Eighty five thousand people in the building for it. Uh, that's all said and done. We have much more important things to talk about involving the Nashville Predators. Uh, once again, we thank the good people in the NHL, the general managers who generally manage these teams, for giving us topics to talk about when we do our silly podcast. The firing of Peter Laviolette, the hiring of John Hines. We will break it down for you on this edition of ESPN on Ice. So let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey. Featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. It's ESPN on ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wachinski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter. And so we begin with a team that currently stands at 19, 15, and 7 for 45 points. They sit 7 points at a third place in the Central, 4 points out of the last wild card spot in the Western Conference, or thereabouts. They've got a few games in hand on the teams that they are chasing. They're one of the best 5-on-5 teams in hockey, both in puck possession and in scoring. Uh, A team with a positive goal differential. You don't often see that for teams outside the playoff uh, bubble. And yet... Their coach, Peter Laviolette, feels the cold steel of the axe falling. He is fired on Monday. On Tuesday, another coach fired a month ago by the New Jersey Devils. John Hines takes over through the miracle of nepotism and college roommate relationships. Takes over the Nashville Predators. Emily, your thoughts on this latest coaching change in the National Hockey League? Well, is in Nashville... Uh, over Christmas week and I was there in the Predators locker room and just talking to guys about how the season is going and you know they were all said the same thing look November was like a really bad month for us we just couldn't get it together but we'll figure it out and you know maybe the Winter Classic is going to be the thing that turns around our season turns out it was not when they blew a lead and lost to the Dallas Stars now once again this is a situation where you see a coach get fired and I immediately open up NHL.com slash stats I open up the save percentage by team and I see where that team falls with their goalies and how their save percentages, and I see that the Predators are in the bottom part of the league. And that's obviously not what you expect with Pekka Rene and Yusei Saros, who are two very good goalies typically, but both of those guys have struggled, and that's been a really big part of Nashville's demise. So that part is not on Peter Laviolette. What is, though, is that this is a team that had grown stale. I think, you know, David Poyle is a fiercely loyal GM. You look at the fact that this is only the third coaching hire they've made as a franchise since they've entered the NHL in 1998. He rarely likes to fire coaches in season. He's never done it. But this is a guy that's had a really long leash. There's been back-to-back playoff flameouts since they made it to that Stanley Cup final. The offense is stale. They can, you know, they address their biggest issue, which is that second-line center by getting Matt Duchesne, and they still can't quite figure it out. Yeah, Poyle looks smart for unloading P.K. Subban. Yeah, Roman Yossi and Ryan Ellis are both playing like Norris Trophy guys, but none of this is equating to win, so it just needed to get done. Yeah, I I think it needed to get done because of the stale message of a coach that's been there for a long time. Functionally, systematically, uh, results-wise, Peter Laviolette is a better coach than John Hines. Just factual. That's that's the case. Look at how good the Predators were at 5-on-5 five five this year and and how good they've been in previous years. As someone pointed out in the John Hines press conference asking David Poyle, uh, y'all know Peter Laviolette's made the playoffs every single season and John Hines made it once, right? Um, or, you know, it's paraphrasing. But the thing about it is this. I feel like Laviolette kind of got a raw deal because he's essentially fired, like you said, because of his team's save percentage, something that John Hines, frankly, should know a thing or two about. 
and also because their penalty kill was the third worst in the league uh, as of uh, Tuesday. Um, that's a recipe for disaster. There's a reason why the Predators have been treading water throughout this entire season. It's those two factors. That said, as Poyle mentioned in hiring John Hines, you have players on this roster that are not playing to their abilities. And when you mm-hmm. have that happen, you could do one of two things. You can make them former players and ship them out of town, or you can believe that a different voice, maybe singing the same tune, maybe singing a different one, is going to motivate them to be better than they are. Enter John Hines, who, for all of his failings, and as you know, we've talked about it on this podcast before, not a fan of the system, didn't necessarily think he played the right guys enough in New Jersey. My God, the happiest two people on this roster right now for the Predators are probably Rocco Grimaldi and Austin Watson. Say hello to more ice time for you two boys on the fourth line. Hey, Grimaldi's having a good year. But I will say this also about John Hines. He has (laughs) one very strong attribute, and that is his relationship with the players. Players love the guy. They love playing for him. Taylor Hall sung his praises to the heavens when Hines got fired, basically saying he won the Hart Trophy because of this guy. And there's ample evidence that that might be the case. Hall became a better player under the wing of John Hines. The idea that you bring in John Hines to motivate these guys, to have a different relationship with these guys, to get more out of these players than LaViolette could and had been getting, makes this a relatively smart move for the Nashville Predators, even if it is kind of ironic that they're hiring a guy who lost his job because of bad goaltending to take over a team that just fired its coach because of bad goaltending. So the question is, Emily, do you think that this is something that could conceivably jumpstart Nashville back to that cup contender status many people thought they could have earlier in the season? I really do. And look, the big caveat here, and as we alluded to, the goaltending needs to get better. We know it can, though. Pekarene is only two years removed from his Vezina season. Like, he's still got it. Yes, he's up there in age. He's 37 years old. But he can feasibly turn this around. Um, but yeah, this feels like a team to me that just needs a kick in the butt. They just need that reminder, kind of like what Craig Berube was for the Blues last year. And I know there's going to be all these comparisons. Oh, they were in last place at this point. They had the great second half of the year. But look, it's kind of the same thing. And Craig Berube got in that room by all accounts and MF'd everybody and says, you're not effing playing hard enough. You're effing selfish. You've got to effing get it together. And we saw how they played. And I don't know if John Hines is an MFer, but he's got to tell these guys something different than what they've been hearing for the last half of the season in the last few years. Uh, the truth is they're not that far off in the playoff race. Yes, the Central's more competitive competitive than ever, but they can get back in. And, you know, I, I think the other subplot of all of this is retreads. And we look at this hiring, and there's a lot of people rolling <laughs> their eyes and says, okay, it took, you know, 12 hours for you to go and find a guy and you found the last guy that was fired. Um, of course, <laughs> this is the NHL. We're going to find someone again. The crazy stat is the last six coaches who have won the Stanley Cup were either on their second, third, or fourth coaching job. Yeah, it's wild. I don't know if this necessarily um, – we should use John Hines as a scapegoat here. He's only 44 years old. He paid his dues in the AHL. Like you said, he did have a good track record in Jersey. It wasn't totally his fault that it didn't work out in the end. Um, but I do think this is a larger conversation we should be having. And, you know, it's not a coincidence that we're having it at the same day where everyone in the NFL is up in arms about the Rooney rule and saying, well, what the hell? Why are you just mm-hmm. hiring all these white men again? Um, and, and we have the same voices and the same guys from the same backgrounds getting these same jobs. Yeah, and that's the weird part about it, right? Like, I I completely understand the idea that you're going to depend on people that you know to endorse candidates for jobs, and you'll rely on them for counsel. Dude got fired on a Monday. John Hines himself said it was only about a day and maybe some change when he was contacted for this potential gig. Um, Is this really due diligence? Like, like is is John Hines... (laughs) Such the hot candidate that you couldn't take a week with two interim assistant coaches running the bench to at least explore other options. And I know what you're saying. Like God like, forbid the Sharks were going to fire their coach again and snatch him up. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, like we we have talked about this. You know, the pathways to these jobs, whether it's uh, a being a general manager, an assistant GM, a scout, a coach. Um, when this kind of stuff happens. And a dude is hired because he was the assistant GM's roommate. 
he played for a dude that used to be the assistant GM in Nashville. Like the, the, the nepotism is just, it's marinating in it, this hire. And it's not to say at the end of the day, it won't be the right one, but it is to say at the end of the day, it prevents people a outside the bubble from being considered and B giving those people. And this is a very underrated part of this equation, giving those people the experience of going through the process so they know what to expect the next time. Do you know how important that is for a candidate from a, let's say a slightly varied background to go through the process and at least know what to anticipate so they don't bomb the interview next time. And when you have a gig where they're one in an interview at all, then like, what do you end up with in this process? You, you end up with someone who's predestined to get the job and it's kind of bizarre in my eyes. And I think it doesn't do the, the, the sport and the league itself service to have this kind of thing play out the way it did. Even if at the end of the day, he's the right guy for the job. Do you think there should be a Rooney rule? We, we both watched the NFL Network clip recently about the, the hiring practices, especially when it came to the executive level. Do you think there needs to be some rule in the NHL to try to encourage more uh, interviewing and vetting of minority candidates? You know, I don't know if it necessarily could be a, a complete parallel just because of the demographics. Let's face it. Like, there's just not enough candidates. There's, I believe, only one black assistant coach currently in the NHL, um, maybe a few in the NCAA level. Um, but that's about it. I, I think what I'd rather see um, is some kind of commitments to mm-hmm. developing and having coaching symposiums for minorities. And look, it's not necessarily about race. I think part of the issue is that these are just the same guys with the same backgrounds who came up the exact same way. And, you know, I feel like Ricard Kronborg has kind of become the martyr for this cause. Like, oh, my God, they wouldn't hire the Swede. Like, he's going to go down flaming with this ship. But, like, he's the perfect example of why won't anyone think outside the box? And you look at the guys making the decisions, their GMs who all came up the same way. And you look at the guys they're reporting to and its owners who a lot of them made their money in the same way and attend the same parties and go to the same board meetings. Yeah. It's an interesting topic um, and, and one that definitely should be explored in the NHL as a whole. Um, but maybe the key is, is just, you know, hopefully they, they have some, some, a roommate that gets to be an assistant general manager somewhere and then they get hired because that's the way things work in this ridiculous insular league that we deal with on a daily basis. Uh, speaking of daily, Bill Daly, how do you like that transition? Is the deputy commissioner of the National Hockey League. And boy, do we get in some really interesting topics with this dude here on ESPN on Ice. Joining us down the line. NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly on the ESPN and Ice podcast. Bill, it's Greg and Emily. How are you, sir? I'm great, guys. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well, and, and, and happy new decade. The first thing that I wanted to ask you is we are now into the 2020s. The, the 2010s are done. When you look back at the last decade of the NHL, what are you most proud of and maybe what surprised you the most about the way the league went in the last decade? Uh, well, I'm certainly proud of the game on the ice. I think the game on the ice uh, really has never been better. It's never been more exciting, uh, never been more unpredictable. Um, obviously, really proud with respect to, you know, the, the competitive balance that we have in the league. Uh, I think it's the strongest in all professional sports. And I know there are some people who might debate whether that's good or bad for a sports league. I've always described to um, the fact that it's really good. And I think, you know, our business results have shown that, which is uh, people people like to see competitive games. People like to see tight races. People like to see unpredictable um, playoffs. And, and I think we've delivered all of that. Uh, obviously, the growth on the revenue side has been impressive. Um, you know, the addition uh, of one very, very successful franchise in Las Vegas and, and the announcement of an expansion to Seattle uh, has been great and will be great for the league. Um, and, uh, and I'm certainly proud of the fact that in, a, in an environment where youth participation in sports, particularly in this country, is declining, uh, youth participation in hockey uh, is increasing. Uh, and while it's not you know, massive growth, it is growth on a year-to-year basis, and I think a lot of that has to do with the commitment our owners have made to, to funding uh, the growth of the game at the grassroots level. So uh, I think all those things have put us in a, a really good place, and we're excited for the 2020s. 
Bill, I have to ask the one natural follow-up question to that, which is what's your biggest regret this past decade? What's one thing that you wish you could have got done, but you didn't? That's a good question, Emily. Um, I guess I don't think about that all that often. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure anything uh, kind of jumps immediately to mind. Uh, obviously, you have disappointments and setbacks from time to time on, in, in different on different issues and, and uh, different things around the game. You never like to see, um, you, know, uh, uh, you know, dangerous plays on the ice, and, and we continue to see them. Um, but I think, you know, the, the, the number of them are, are significantly down from where we were 10 years ago. So I think the game has gotten safer as it's gotten more exciting. Um, so I, I, I really, as I sit here right now, I can't point to one thing that really – has disappointed me. We just had the the uh, the uh, Winter Classic in Dallas. It's a huge success on the ground. Eighty five thousand plus fans. Not so much on TV, unfortunately. It was the lowest rated Winter Classic that we've had. I've been preaching from the 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 pulpit, Bill, that the ratings don't matter. But do they matter? And is the lack of television success for the Stars and Predators to quote unquote non traditional markets going to make you hesitant? to put those kinds of teams back in the winter classic versus the stadium series? No, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think that that game was a tremendous, you know, we, we viewed it internally certainly as a tremendous success. I think NBC even viewed it as a tremendous success because I think it, it shows how popular hockey can be in non-traditional markets. I, I, I think the response that the fans had uh, in Dallas, um, the response that the, the Nashville fans had traveling you know, eight hours uh, to Dallas to, to go to that game uh, really is a testament to to kind of fandom in, in non-traditional markets. So, um, you know, it's the, the, the ratings were always going to be a challenge uh, with respect to those two markets um, because, because, you know, that game still relies very heavily on local ratings. Uh, so, you know, those two markets don't have our strongest local ratings, but we knew that going in. Um, you know, we also had the misfortune of drawing pretty strong competition uh, on the college football front, which I'm sure uh, didn't help things. Um, but, I mean, again, I, I don't think the rating caught anybody by surprise, uh, particularly not NBC, uh, not us. Uh, and I don't think it really has a, a major impact, certainly in a negative way, uh, with respect to what we have to do with our next uh, TV rights deal. So we're nearing the All-Star Game, which is always one of our favorite events of the year. And a few years ago, you guys changed it to the three-on-three format, which seems wildly successful and seems fun for fans and players alike. I'm just curious if there's any appetite to change the format going forward, if we can expect that. And then just as a follow-up to that, you know, Alex Ovechkin is not coming for the second year in a row. Um, is that a concern for the league, uh, that, that that could be a trend? And is that something that you would have to work out with the Players Association to amend the rules there? Yeah, both good questions. I, I mean, I think the All-Star game by its very nature, uh, the All-Star event by its very nature is a challenge and it needs to, you know, really needs continuous attention. Uh, and you need to evolve it uh, over time and make sure it's as compelling as it can be. Um, you know, the, from, a, from a competitive standpoint, it's never going to be uh, really very representative of what our game is. From a skill standpoint, it can be spectacular. And I think with a three-on-three format, that's what we've tried to highlight. Um, I think we have to continue to make changes and, and consider changes over time. I think you'll see some, some wrinkles uh, in, in this year's format, which, which uh, should be announced sometime before the game. Uh, I think we've alluded publicly to the fact that uh, we in the Players Association are talking about some type of uh, international flavor uh, to, to the All-Star game next year. So while that's not finalized, um, it's, it's certainly something that we're in discussions on. So I do think you'll see uh, some more modifications and evolution uh, to the event next year. And I, I think that's always going to be the case with the All-Star Game. Um, you know, the All-Star events serve a very important purpose for us. It's something uh, we can, you know, we, we gather around and can celebrate the game and can celebrate it with our business partners. And, and it's a, an event that everybody enjoys. Uh, but everybody knows going in, it's not um, you know it's it's not like Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Finals in terms of the intensity on the ice uh, by any means or any stretch. So and it's never going to be. So so uh, as long as we understand that, um, it's something you know we have to continue to work on and and kind of make as interesting as it can possibly be. 
In terms of uh, player participation, is that a concern? Uh, I think it is a concern. Um, I, I, I do believe uh, that there has to be a little more urgency um, among the players to uh, make this a priority because I think it is a priority, uh, should be a priority, uh, and really is, in fact, you know, one of the job responsibilities when it comes to being a, a you know, professional ice hockey player that when you're honored to be selected um, in, in an all-star event, it's, it's in every player's contract that he has an obligation to perform in that all-star event. And while we've, you know, instituted some changes or, or some consequences, I suppose, to uh, refusing to participate, obviously, um, in some cases, those haven't proven effective. And, you know, I, I was the first to defend Alex Ovechkin's decision last year uh, to take a year off because he has been fabulous in terms of uh, helping the league and, and promoting the sport and the game, including at the All-Star event every year. Um, so, you know, last year I, I was, uh, I, I was uh, much more uh, willing to, to look the other way on, on something like this for two years in a row, I think. Um, is probably something that we, we do need to address with the Players Association and make sure that doesn't become a trend. Do you see a, a situation where you might seek to increase the penalties for skipping it instead of just the one-game suspension? Well, I mean, obviously that's that's one of the things we have to look at. Um, you know, I, I, I'd rather do something, you know, look, I, I don't think the answer to every problem is to, to look to discipline people. Um, that's never been Gary's style. It's never been uh, the league's style. And that's not what we're looking to do. We, we, we do want to make sure that everybody understands that this is an important event. Um, and it's not something that we should, uh, you know, bypass lightly. And, and uh, you know, it, we, you know, we'll seek the help of the Players Association in instilling uh, that sentiment to players on a, on a kind of more ingrained basis, perhaps, than it is currently instilled. I was wondering, first off, where the investigation into the Bill Peters situation in Carolina currently stands. And secondly, what's been the feedback since you and Gary unveiled that four-point plan to try to deal with uh, coaching abuse and, and, uh, and some of the, uh, the issues with the diversity that we've had in the league with the coaches? Well, with respect to kind of the investigation, uh, we, we, have, uh, we have retained an independent outside firm to, to investigate uh, various of the matters that uh, came to light in, I guess, November uh, and early December, and, and that's uh, in process. And, and uh, I can't give you an exact timetable, but uh, obviously want a, a thorough uh, uh, look into those matters uh, just, you know, to at least inform us as to, to where to go from there. Um, and so that's in process. Uh, with respect to Kind of the reaction on, on, you know, what Gary announced coming out of the board meeting. I think the reaction generally has been very positive. I mean, it, obviously, we kind of went from the board meeting right into the holidays where a lot of different people were on vacation. And, and uh, you know, it, I, I would have, you know, in some respects, business hasn't really even returned to normal yet. So it's hard to give you kind of a, a, a day-to-day feedback. But I think the feedback we did receive both at the board meeting and, and after from the clubs and, and really from the hockey community was very positive. Um, I, I think people, um, you know, I, I think some people were surprised by some of the revelations uh, that came out in November and December. And, and, uh, but I think everybody uh, welcomes the opportunity to take a look at it, uh, take a look at ourselves, have the discussion um, and make improvements uh, to the extent we need to make improvements. Last one from me, Bill. Last year at the All-Star Game, uh, we saw women participate and they demonstrated skills. Is there a chance we'll see some of the top women's players back at this year's game and might they be doing something different, I don't know, like a three-on-three tournament instead? I would expect that there will be women participation at the All-Star Game. Ah, and he leaves it at that. An air of mystery from Bill (laughs) Bill Daly. Uh, Last one from me, Bill. As you know... I love the National Hockey League. I want nothing but world domination for our sport. Uh, world domination would probably include something in the Olympics. I tell everybody, if you want the players in the Olympics, talk to the IOC. But I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that our old friend Rene Fassell said this week that he would like to have a yes or no response 
from the NHL about Olympic participation in 2022 in Beijing by the end of August. Uh, do you think it's a reasonable deadline? Do you respect that deadline? Uh, and do you think that we're going to know for sure before the end of August whether we're going or not in 2022? Uh, well, I mean, I'll, I'll start my answer to that question just by saying that um, I, I happen to hear Renee's interview as well. Um, you know, and I love Renee uh, like a brother. I've been working with him now for 23 years, my entire time at the league, and I, I get to see him probably even more than the commissioner gets to see him because, um, you know, I get to go to some of the international tournaments that the commissioner can't go to during uh, due to his, his responsibilities here. So I, I consider uh, Renee a friend, but I'll, I'll point out that Renee sent us both a letter, uh, I don't know, four or five months ago uh, that asked uh, that set the deadline for December 15th of 2019 for our decision. <laughs> so um, take that for what it's worth. Uh, apparently we have a new deadline that we're working against. Uh, there you go. Uh, I will, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I, I can't handicap, um, how likely we'll have a final decision by August or really by any other date. I will say that, you know, that this, uh, you know, I, I won't reiterate what Gary says every time he's asked the question, but obviously <laughs> it is a challenge and it presents challenges to our clubs. It's not something that they uh, particularly enjoy their players participating in. But even before you get to that, that stage, there's, there's two things. One, one is, you know, we have no indication that the IOC is even willing to do what they did for us for five consecutive Olympics, um, which is reimbursing our clubs for, for or paying for player insurance uh, or reimbursing the players for travel and, and um, associated expenses with attending the Olympics. If, if if that continues to be their position, we have no indication their position has changed. I'm not sure there's much of a chance um, of Olympic participation happening. Um, add that to the fact that uh, you know I, I think we recognize that the players want to participate by and large, uh, if not universally. Um, you know that's a relevant factor to us uh, certainly. Um, and, you know, we, we, uh, we were engaged in discussions with players associations with respect to a potential CBA extension. I hope to re-engage in those discussions at some point. And my guess is Olympic participation will be part of those discussions. Um, you know, but unless until that happens, I'm not sure anything changes on the Olympic front. Just as a quick follow-up, you've, you've been so active in, in my time that I've known you in trying to grow this game internationally. And, and China has been such a focus. Um, would it be sort of a personal bummer if we don't get a chance to go over there and and, uh, and be on that stage in a place where you've worked so hard to kind of lay roots? Well, you know, look, I, I, what I certainly acknowledge and admit to is, you know, the, the, you know, as a hockey fan, the Olympic tournament's a great tournament. It's fun to watch. It's great. You know, with my business hat on, uh, representing the National Hockey League and in the interests of our owners, um, you know, there are certainly negatives associated with Olympic participation. And, and I think people sometimes underestimate those negatives in jumping to, you know, the conclusion that we should definitely participate. So I see the pros and the cons. Uh, I obviously, when, when we have made the decision to participate and we do participate in the Olympics, I think it's a fabulous tournament. Uh, you know, best players in the world and, and you can't beat that. So I, I certainly acknowledge that fact. Bill, well, we really appreciate your time. We know that you're in Las Vegas right now to speak your series, so we will let you go and looking forward to seeing you in St. Louis. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Happy New Year. Our thanks to Bill Daly for joining us here on the ESPN and Ice podcast. What stood out from you in that interview? I mean, I, I thought he came strong on the all-star stuff. Yeah, I was shocked the way that he was talking about Ovechkin and saying how he personally felt about it last year and giving him a pass and then saying, now that it's two years in a row and it's becoming a trend, I'm pissed off about it. And I, I think that we're going to need to figure something out so this doesn't keep happening because he is scared it's going to be a trend. So that was fascinating to me just to hear him speak so candidly on it. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, <clears throat> we handed out report cards. You and I put on our, our, our teacher's hats. We had our world's mm-hmm. best teacher mugs in our hands and did report cards for the NHL at the midpoint of the season this week. Um, couple F's, I think, right? What did you give the Devils? Oh, I gave out some F's and I felt good about it. <laughs> yeah, I um, gave out, look, I gave uh, out just... one F. I gave, I gave an F I, to, I think... to the Red Wings because they yeah. very much 
deserve it. Um, but but again, like they're 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 like that burnout that you went to school with. Like they're trying to fail, <laughs> they're trying to flunk out. All they want to do is is work on their music. Uh, you know, yeah, exactly, and and play and play with their band and work on their their car. Um, I gave them an F for the 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 perfection of their imperfection. Um, but you you gave the devil's one, right? I think I did give the devil's one, and I thought it was real well deserved. And my whole caveat with all of these report cards is it does remind me of a real report card, which is in the moment it's the biggest deal in the world, and you're like, holy cow, how can I be in this moment? And then twenty years later, when your parents are selling your childhood house, and they're like, hey, we've got all these boxes of your old report cards, don't you want to keep them? And you're like. <laughs> I never want to see those again in my life. They mean absolutely nothing. So this snapshot of the devils probably means absolutely nothing. That said, it's a fail of a season. Like when you look at what is a failure, their expectations were super high. Part of that was self-inflicted because they went out and made all these big moves in the summer and kind of had this hoopla around it of, of saving Taylor Hall's free agency and convincing him to stay. And it's another disaster. The team sucks. They're really hard to watch. There's very few players who are doing well. My class president was Kyle Palmieri. He's the leading score and pretty much the only consistent forward on that team. Um, yeah. And they've got an interim coach. So that's a failure for me. I'll, I'll say that Mackenzie Blackwood has certainly played better than I gave him credit for earlier in the season. I, I saw somebody kind of mocking me on, on the Twitter machine about saying that Hines was fired because of terrible goaltending. I mean, the goaltending was terrible earlier this season. I mean, Blackwood wasn't good. Schneider was epically terrible. Um, but Blackwood's they played, went out and tried to get time. Louis Domingue to save their season. Yeah, and right, and he was part of one of the biggest debacles in franchise history in that Buffalo game. Um, so yeah, Paul Mary and then maybe Blackwood are like the only two keepers from that team. Um, who who were some of the grades that you? What were some of the grades you gave out that surprised you as far as teams that you are doing maybe a little bit better than you than you thought they were? You know, the one team and maybe. Again, kind of recency bias because they've had a really good month. But the Columbus Blue Jackets, there you go. their preseason over-under was at 84, according to Caesars. They're on a current points pace for 92 points. If they keep tracking the way they are, they could be a playoff team. Um, I believe I gave the team I did a B-plus as their overall grade just because you consider what the expectations were for the season with all of these departures – the ridiculous amount of injuries they've had. I know there's a lot of teams that have been banged up, and I think the Penguins are probably slightly ahead of them in the woe is me, our trainer suck department. But um <laughs> they really, really dealt with a lot of adversity, and they're playing great. And, you know, Corpusalo was excellent and, and totally uh, exceed expectations. Now Elvis gets an extended audition, but um they were a team that surprised me in a good way. Yeah. Boy, that Elvis thing, man. I Listen, all I was so trying to, to say the other day— for all. Yeah, I, and the Columbus fans are being so rude to me. All I was trying to say the other day is that when a player claims that he doesn't want to talk to the media and then doesn't talk to the media and things go poorly after that, he'll inevitably just blame the media. Like, that's all I was trying to say. I said that he would go 0-5-1 and, and then blame the media. That's all I was trying to say. It wasn't a prediction on on performance. I don't give a I, – I don't have the, the wherewithal to predict how a goalie is going to play in his first six games – but so in his first four games, he's like three and one. He's played well. And now I have, you know, every loser in Columbus, uh, you know, m- mourning the Buckeye season, uh, tweeting at me and telling me uh, what a, a, a jackass I am. This is why, this is why I just shouldn't even offer an opinion. I should just talk to my dog all day. This is why I should listen to the advice of everyone and of, don't of tweet. interest, then people come after you. <laughs> Uh, no, the Elvis talking to the media thing, though, it is interesting. And, you know, I am part of the PHWA, Professional Writers Hockey Association, um, executive board. And this is something that we talk about because unlike the NFL CBA, we don't have regulations of when guys have to speak and are supposed to speak. And it's really on an honor system. And this is something that's kind of troublesome for me. So we gave the Blue Jackets some time, said, okay, give them some space, but eventually that's going to have to bend. Yeah. And if it's a situation, and, and I've never interviewed the kid before, like, some people said, well, maybe it's a language situation. I doubt it is. But even if it is, there are ways to deal with that. Like when Andre Vasilevsky uh, in his first couple seasons with the Lightning was sort of very hesitant to kind of stand in front of a scrum of reporters and talk, it would be a situation where like one reporter would talk to him and get quotes and ask questions. And like there are ways to deal with this. But listen, the, the idea that the media is some gigantic heap of pressure that's going to crush your spirit on the ice is nonsense anyway. Um, but then to make kind of this big deal out of it is, uh, is, you know, it's not good for anybody. 
Um, even worse for us, obviously, is that he's playing well. So now some bunch of morons are going to be like, well, no one should talk to the media because they're all go three and one. Gloop. Anyways, uh, the Vancouver Canucks to me, uh, my beloved playoff bound Canucks, I, I knew that they were playing well. I did not know they were playing to a 98 point pace well. Uh, obviously I think the, the last, last two weeks have really bolstered that. Yeah, the last two weeks have bolstered. But what surprised me about them, um, look, I said at the beginning of the season, as, as you guys know, they needed everybody to stay healthy. Patterson, Besser, Horvat, Miller, they've all stayed healthy. Uh, Hughes needed to play uh, above, a, 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 you know, rookie expectations. That's happened. Markstrom's played really well. I'm genuinely surprised that the supporting cast has been as good as it's been. Uh, Tanner Pearson, Jake Furtan, and those types. And genuinely surprised they've been able to do as well as they have with the, I mean, Michael Furland out, 14 games he's played this year. Tyler Mott, 15. Brandon Sutter, 22. Roussel, 14. They've been missing a chunk of their supporting cast too and playing as well as they have. So that's, that, the report cards are always a good chance for us to take a step back and really kind of dive into some of these teams and, and, and look under the hood uh, instead of kind of just like checking the standings and watching a game or two here and there. And that was a really big surprise to me. And then on top of that, I just didn't realize how bad the Sharks have been. My God. Hurdle, Couture. You can't see what's in your own backyard, man. Carlson, Meyer, Bur- Burns. All these players have been in LeBanc. All these players down in scoring from last season. Brent Burns was over a point per game last season. 0.66 point, points per game this season. Like, it is a total disaster in every single way. On top of that, Doug Wilson never, you know, hoped a bunch of kids could address the losses of Pavelski, Donskoy, uh, Nyquist, Braun. Didn't happen. Um, and the crazy part about it is they could still make the playoffs. Like, they're not completely out of the picture yet in the Western Conference uh, and in the wild card race at the very least because of, you know, how mediocre the Pacific can be at times. Uh, but boy, the, the, you really take a hard look at what the Sharks are this season, and it's staggering. Um, anybody else there you got uh, that, that struck yeah, you? Yeah, you know, like we've talked about the Penguin and how they've done it with all these injuries, and now they're out Jake Gensel again. But they're on a 107-point pace, which is incredible considering they've been without Crosby for most of the season. Before that, they were without Malkin. We can go through the list of injuries. Like Brian Rust is playing out of his freaking mind right now, and so is Tristan Jari. So those are two reasons they're doing so well. Um, the Washington Capitals, again, like their team that's just kind of been cruising, so we don't pay attention. We obviously paid a little bit of attention this week when they had that incredible comeback in the third period when even their team Twitter account was tweeting that the game was over and they scored two goals in the, to ice it. But, um, also again, a testament to how bad the Sharks have been, but they're at a really incredible pace. And then in the Central Division too, like there's a couple teams where I'm like, there's nothing I can do but compliment you. You've been doing great. The Avs are one of those teams. The Blues are one of those teams. Even the Wild, despite their slow start, have really picked things up. I know they've been a little topsy-turvy too, but there's a lot to compliment there. And, and the Jets. So um, it's just a competitive year, man. If you just talk to anyone, parody is parody, and it's it's real. Mm-hmm. Indeed. All right. Check out the report cards on ESPN.com. I think you'll very much enjoy them. We might very much enjoyed writing them. And if you're an Arizona fan, congratulations on your A. You deserve it. A for Arizona. I believe is the saying. Um, all right, now it's time for our favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. It's Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. It's the segment each week when we take a look at the hockey media and its uh, various foibles and hyperbole, mistakes that are made. This one isn't necessarily about the hockey media, but it is about the sports media. Uh, Fox Sports Sun has a host named Paul Kennedy. And Paul Kennedy recently did, I guess he is, it does like a Bolts show, I think. I, know, I think about it. He's like a Bolts host. So it is, it is hockey media. Uh, Paul Kennedy recently did a, a, a quick obituary to remember, um, Longtime NBA commissioner David Stern, uh, who of course passed away on New Year's Day. And here's what that sounded like. Yesterday, the sporting world lost Gary Bettman, the most significant commissioner perhaps of our lifetime, leading the NBA for 30 years. He dies at the age of 77. Gary Bettman. 
Bettman, the commissioner of the NHL, was his associate when Mr. Bettman arrived in the NHL in 1994 and has served this league since. It is a personal loss for Gary, and he says, I am extremely saddened at this. David taught me how to be a commissioner and, more importantly, how to try and be a good person. David will be missed terribly, especially by his wife, Diane, his sons, Andrew and Eric, all of whom have a Shelley and my deepest condolences. Gary Bettman leaves us at 77, a legendary commissioner in professional sport. Wow. Um, that was a roller coaster. We begin with the death of Gary Bettman. We continue with Gary Bettman's tribute to the late David Stern. And then we move on to reiterating the death of Gary Bettman. I like the thought, though, of me submitting my own statement for my own death. I'm never <laughs> reading that out loud. Talk about controlling a narrative. That's pretty good. <laughs> Said Wyshynski in a statement, thank you all for all the condolences. <laughs> I have lived a good and happy life. Uh, I'm in a better place now. <laughs> it's incredible. Paul Kennedy, uh, you, uh, sir, have given us a joyous Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. Well, I mean, Jesus, joyous. It's maudlin. Somebody died. But I mean, it's joyous because we got a laugh out of it. Uh, Phil Kessel loves hot dogs to begin 2020. Now it's time for Puck Headlines. Dateline, Montreal. Ho, 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 Ilya Kovalchuk signs with Les Habitants. Uh, Ilya Kovalchuk's with Montreal now. He had an assist in his first game with the Habs. Emily, are we about to see the Kovalchukasants in Montreal? Um, I love the energy that he's bringing into 2020. I, I think it was Eric Engels who had the tweet where he was like, they were chanting your name. Uh, what was that like? And he's like, I'll give them plenty more reasons to chant later. Uh, uh-huh, yeah. Look, they're giving him every opportunity to... <laughs> Every opportunity to succeed. They're putting him on the top line. This is really a last-ditch attempt uh, for Mark Bergevin to salvage the season after his team just started doing terribly, lost Brendan Gallagher for an extended period of time, and just needs to pick up wins. So, look, two-way deal, minimum veteran salary. I hope it works out for him because I think the NHL is better when a player of Kovalchuk's stature is in it. I just hope he still has it in him because we didn't see any of that in Los Angeles. Yeah, this is scratch, this is scratching. There was always rumors that, uh, Yager was going to go to Montreal. This is scratching my, uh, aging legend goes to Montreal itch for sure. Um, I do wonder eventually about a defensive black hole playing for Claude Julien. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily the greatest recipe in the world. Uh, but for the time being, uh, a desperation move by a team, uh, that has both been hit by injuries and some underwhelming performances by young players up front. So I, I it, listen. It's not, not the worst gamble. It didn't cost them anything. It's an, a two-way contract. Uh, Dateline World Juniors. Well, uh, I guess uh, congratulations to Canada. Um, we obviously were able to soften up Finland for them uh, before they had to go play the Russians, who did their usual ridiculous implosion and self-immolation. Um we lost in the quarterfinals. It's a huge bummer. Uh, and so I will now do what any World Junior fan does, taking a tip from my friends in Canada. Our best players were in the NHL. Um, the officiating was so bad. Um, really tough group. Um, and they're just kids. So just don't be too harsh on them because they're just kids. I just have to say, I feel for the millions of Russians who turned on to TV and started cheering for the game when it was tied 3-3 and then kept cheering when they think that Russia pulled off an incredible win, only to find out a couple days later that it was the 2011 World Championship rerun that was incidentally played on the same day. And I thought, I, I think I saw something that, that Vladimir Tarasenko was among the Russians who were fooled by this replay. Oh, yeah. That was being 2011, played. that would track. Yeah. Oh, he was fooled as well? Yeah. I believe so. Wasn't it his contemporaries so. playing in it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's probably doing that whatever That American... guy, he's good. Yeah, he's probably doing whatever American does, which is half watch the games because it's juniors. Um, yeah. yeah. It's fine. Congratulations to Canada. It's, it's, again, it's much more important to you than it is to me. I only enjoy it when we win things internationally and do so at the expense of Canada. 
Dateline. Well, with that said, that women's yes. junior final was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that. First of all, how cool was it to watch the stream of that game um, and see the numbers climb and climb and climb and climb as more people realized where they could stream it? And then, of course, to see our, our glorious uh, women's junior team uh, take gold. Once again, proving, Emily, don't send a men's national team. Send the women's national team to get the job done. Sweet. That's right. Dateline TSA. Emily, if you please, regale us with a tale of Casey DeSmith and his passport. Hasn't been the easiest year for Casey DeSmith. You know, the team put him on waivers, thought they might lose him. They picked Tristan Jari over him. Now he sees Tristan Jari go and being mentioned as a Vezina candidate, and he's stuck in Wilkes-Barre. But he gets the call from Jim Brotherford, and he's like, kid, you're coming on the trip this weekend. Pack your bags. And then <laughs> he lost his passport, and oh. they had to take the other kid instead. And not only that, he stays in Wilkes-Barre and starts the game that night and gets totally um, just wrecked yep. by goals. I think he let in six, breaks his stick over the crossbar, and it's just not a great weekend for Casey DeSmith. Not the best weekend at all for Casey DeSmith. Dateline NHL All-Star Game. Once again, failing to trust the fans to vote in players for the fans game, the NHL selected their all-star representatives uh, for this season's game in St. Louis, a destination that no doubt will compel many players to not show up. Um, it's not sh- that's not sl- yeah, I mean I yeah, I am trashing St. Louis, but I don't mean to. I'm just saying that NHL players more likely to show up to a Vegas or a Nashville than they would St. Louis. It's just a fact. Um, amongst the snubs, Emily, Brad Marchand, who in theory could be a Hart Trophy candidate, amongst the league's top scorers, not selected for the game, not put on the last man in ballot. My theory on this is the NHL didn't want a repeat of the Tampa All-Star game where Marchand was uh, lustily booed by the local fans and was portrayed as a villain the entire time. I imagine the Blues having played the Bruins in the Stanley Cup final, you'd probably hear even more of it. But what do you think this is about? Why did we get this snub and what were your other snubs? To be honest, look, the 3-on-3 three three format was a good change because I think it makes the product better, but it inherently limited the players that you can bring. Um, and I... I almost feel like the NHL needs to question whether the one representative for a team thing is going to matter because, look, yes, the Boston Bruins are so talented and that's why Marchand was snubbed. But, like, you've got a guy like Tyler Bertuzzi saying, hey, it's great I'm in an All-Star game, but I kind of feel guilty for going because my team sucks and that's kind of weird. And Dylan Larkin saying, hey, I don't deserve to be voted in. Like, let me get my rest. I don't want to go. Um, like, do the Red Wings that got your F really deserve an All-Star and potentially two? <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. And, you know, you feel for him. But, hey, got to show up or else Bill Daly is bringing down the ban hammer. So be careful of that. Uh, finally, Dateline, the Golden Globes. You and I both watched the Globes. What made you happy and what made you sad about the Globes this year? What made me happy was Brad Pitt calling Leonardo DiCaprio LDC because I thought that was really <laughs> cute. And what made me sad was Quentin Tarantino's speech because it was really uncomfortable and I really, really didn't like it. I, I thought it was a lot of um, weird, self-congratulatory bits that were even excessive for him. Yeah. And I felt uh, bad my- for anyone who worked on a movie with him beforehand after he said that this was the only like crew he's ever worked on that he really loved. Yeah, for sure. Um, my favorite was Bong Joon- Joon-ho uh, talking about uh, – subtitles as a, as an obstacle for people to watch good movies man if you haven't seen parasite i've now seen i've seen every big sort of oscary film outside of the irishman and 1917 and i don't know if parasite's getting beat it, it is it is a stone cold classic about uh, uh class it's funny it's horrific it's just the best i i encourage everybody to go see it don't be scared of subtitles and my least favorite thing from the Golden Globes, um, 
maybe maybe Sam Mendes winning for best director for 1917. Like I'm, I I can't imagine that that film is like exponentially better directed than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Although he did it save you another an Tarantino speech. Film. Yeah, it was just like an award show bait film. Like I'm just gonna make some biopic and yeah, show you how history is done. There it is. How history is done. And this is how podcasting is done, ladies and gentlemen. As Emily and I return from our holiday slumber to bring you forth this episode. Uh, oh, one more thing. We got a rant line to play and producer Ryan says it's uh, insane. Greg and Emily, thanks for allowing me to settle one of the hottest debates going on right now. No, it's not who are the most uninspiring coupless Maple Leafs of the decade. It's not who's going to be in an all-star game that exactly 17 people are going to watch. I'm here to tell hashtag hockey Twitter why the correct term is pork roll and not Taylor ham. Taylor originally called it Taylor's prepared ham, but was forced to change the name after it failed to meet the new legal definition of ham established by the Pure Food and Drug Act in 1906. That's why you see Taylor pork roll in big letters on the product and ham nowhere to be found. I'm sorry to disappoint the folks in Northern Jersey, as well as those who live in the mythical land called Central Jersey that my wife was born and raised in, but the folks in South Jersey got this one right. You're welcome, and go Bulls. Okay, all I have to say is the only reason Ryan thought it was weird is because he doesn't understand Jersey. That was the perfect rant line, in my opinion. I, I mean, outside of being completely wrong, uh, yeah, that is uh, is very true. Um I guess I guess my biggest problem with the call is this concept of South Jersey. I mean, all I know is that there's a North Jersey, a Central Jersey, and then the Philadelphia suburbs. So I am uh, confused by his geography lesson. Mm-mm-mm. I'm with him. It's a mythical place. There's a Mason-Dixon line in New Jersey. You're either North Jersey or you're South Jersey. You got to pick your side. You don't live in the middle. It, the, the box says Taylor pork roll. Pork is ham. Taylor makes it. Taylor Ham. It's all, it's all needs to be said. And pork again, pork roll sounds disgusting, man. I, 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 that's that's my biggest my biggest argument in this in this ridiculous, stupid geographic debate is that pork roll sounds gross. It just does. It sounds like a meat tube, like you're you're putting a meat tube in your mouth. Taylor Ham at least sounds eloquent. Like I'm going to buy a Taylor Ham for my family for the holidays. That sounds like it's beautiful. tailored. Yeah. Right. Taylor. It sounds like someone's created it specifically to your specifications. Pork roll sounds like some, a meat injection. That's gross. Exactly. I could see your face right now. You're making a squinty face because that's how gross I am por- indeed. pork roll is. Taylor ham for life. Anyways, that's the show for this week. Thanks to Bill Daly. Proud, uh, native of the state, great, great state of New Jersey, I believe. Correct. I think Bill Daly's yeah, we should ask Jersey. him what part he's from. He'll say north yeah. or south. He'll yeah. give us an answer. He will. And uh, thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please go to iTunes. Uh, leave reviews of many stars, of some comments if you'd, if you'd like. We always appreciate it. and helps people find the show. Uh, I'm Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer. You could read my column, The Wish List, every Thursday. Um, and you could listen to my other podcast where I say naughty words, Puck Soup. Uh, that drops uh, Thursdays or Fridays. I'm Emily Kaplan. Uh, you can read my Monday column on the NHL. I only just say MF on this podcast, so that's all I'm allowed to say, but it's pretty fun to say. <laughs> and uh, thanks for listening. Bye. 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 This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.